to me, I think it's safer when I'm moving in on a bedded buck to come in a little bit more from the side or at a like a 45 degree angle as opposed to coming straight down on top of them. The first thing is, by all means, do not put any pressure on that deer. What I mean by that is they don't need to know you're there. You don't have to watch that deer from 200 yards away, 300 yards away. If I can watch that deer from a mile away, right. that's even better. I think patience pays off more times than it doesn't, but um, you got to have it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the thing. You know, that's the that's the caveat right there. You need to have patience. You know, sometimes it's best not to spend every weekend, right. you know, every waking hour, you know, going to check on a buck and and watching him, or because we do, we begin to. Build load it up. up all this pressure and load it up and you got so much invested in this one deer that when you do finally you know it's finally the hunting season and you're finally in position to make your shot it becomes overwhelming hey guys welcome to days of the wild big game hunting podcast i want to take a minute to introduce you to a new organization called howl for wildlife howl was grown out of the necessity to have a fast acting tool to focus the sportsman's voice on issues concerning wildlife management and hunting. It's Howell's goal to shut down any initiative that doesn't support sound management practices before it even makes it to the ballot, and certainly before it reaches the courtroom. I know I sound like a broken record, but we need to start looking at hunting as a community and not just an individual sport. And that means supporting all hunting, whether we engage in duck hunting or predator hunting or anything in between. We are all in this for different reasons. And unfortunately, it's this difference that will be our undoing if we let it. So we need to come together as one pack and let our diversity be our strength. We are a strong force if we band together, one voice, one howl. I want you to go to howlforwildlife.org, that's H-O-W-L for wildlife.org, and join there. There's no cost to you to becoming a member. How operates solely on donations, so it's completely up to you if you decide you want to send money or not. There will be no annoying emails, no newsletter advertisements, or money grabs, or anything like that. No drives. Signing up as a member just means that when there's an issue concerning wildlife management like this attempt on banning mountain lion hunting and bear hunting in Arizona, you will be called to stand with us and let your voice be heard. So get out there, get on Powerful Wildlife, become a member, and join the pack. Thank you. Let's jump into this episode. Hi, welcome to Days of the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today we're, uh, we're going to catch up with uh, Patrick Montgomery. We're going to talk to him a little bit about uh, some of his past experiences and see if we can't uh, find some some good nuggets in those in those stories. What's going on, man? Man, not a whole lot. How you been? Oh, been uh, trying to recover from covid here got it earlier in the month and just uh still been kicking my ass and uh, other than that uh i'm good i can't really complain life's good family's good so yep that's all that all that really matters and nothing like a little case of covid to, <laughs> to set the mind straight on what's important in life huh right yeah exactly yeah it does it does give you a little perspective for sure 
Although I don't, I don't think I ever got to a point where I was like, I'm going to die or anything. Like, you know, I never really felt like it, it had that hard of a, a hold on me. So, but I, I've had friends and stuff that were, you know, got hospitalized and whatever. And, you know, you get to that point, you definitely, you start looking at things a little differently. Sure. I mean, and it's just, you know, that's just the thing with it is nobody really knows, you know, how it's going to affect them, you know, how sick they're going to get. And, you know, it's, it's a serious thing. And, you know, just because it's, it's not affecting, you know, one person, you know, in a overly dramatic way, doesn't mean the next person's not going to get a bad case. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's people that are asymptomatic and got it all over the place and they don't even know they have it. And then there's guys that get it and they're freaking one foot in the grave, you know, and it's just a very crazy crazy thing that's uh very individualized and really there's no i mean i'm sure there is but there's seemingly no rhyme or reason to why you know people react differently so yeah well you know enough about that let's talk about yes exactly so i know the other day i had made a post which kind of prompted me to even having you on to think about having you on to do this about a uh, a deer that kind of messed with my psyche for a while because I because I blew it and then anyway and the the worst part about it is it, it was just a deer it wasn't even like a special deer it was the all the uh, the events leading up to it that that made it bad for me and then you kind of shared something with me and I was like oh that's that's a good one we need to we need to talk about that so you had mentioned about some two hundred inch deer that you you were chasing and yeah i mean it was um the deer i think we were talking about it was when i had first i had just moved to colorado from new mexico and it was at the very beginning of what i would consider my my high country you know bow hunting career Mm -hmm. um i specifically i grew up in new mexico i got to do a lot of elk hunting down there and I'd started working for an outfitter here in Colorado, out on the Eastern Plains and guiding a bunch of big bucks out there. And um, I finally just made the decision that I was gonna move to Colorado. It just had more more hunting opportunities for me. And so I just moved up here. And um, at the time, you know, I was able to, I was in the summertime, I was working as a whitewater rafting guide. And so I decided to, put in for a, a high country unit there that I could do my rafting in the day. And then I could go and, and scout, you know, look for big velvet muley bucks in the, in the afternoons and evenings. And cool. Yeah, it was, you know, this particular deer, I found him, well, it was probably in July. And I mean, at the beginning of July and he was, he was already, you know, a very big deer, you know, probably already, over 200 inches at the beginning of July. And wow. Had this big 12 inch drop club, you know, that came off of his right side and, you know, just mass for days and some extra stickers. And yeah, you know, that, that once in a lifetime deer that we're all looking for. Right. You know, so it just, um, I spent, you know, a lot of time, you know, going up there and, and watching him. 
Uh, he wasn't super difficult to find. Uh, he wasn't wasn't living in some remote basin, you know, that I had to hike in, you know, for miles to go found, find him. But also because of that, I knew that I was probably only going to have, you know, a day or two, you know, to try to get him killed before, you know, somebody else found him or, or other hunting pressure, you know, came and, mm-hmm. and pushed him out of, out of the area where he was living. So um, I wanted to wanted to make sure I got it done, you know, the first time, kind of a one and done type deal. And, you know, I guess we'll, you know, finally, you know, got around to night, the day before opening day. And, you know, I was able to find that buck, watched him all evening. Of course, you know, <laughs> I was paranoid as all get out, you know, <laughs> that some, that somebody else had, had seen him and that I was going to have to deal with that, you know, come opening day. And so I was constantly you know, keeping an eye out for any other vehicles, you know, anybody parking in the same parking lot that, that looked like they might be out there after, after that buck. And, and, you know, luckily, you know, for me, there, there wasn't anybody, Um, everything. Yeah. I mean, everything was just about, you know, as textbook as you can think of, you know, opening morning came, I found the buck within the first 15 minutes of daylight. Nice. And I was able to, able to watch him and watch him go and bed down in a, a nice little patch of willows where I could still see his antler tips. He wasn't, you know, bedded in there so deep that I couldn't even see him anymore. And you know, and that was pretty early, you know, in the in the day. I mean, I think he bedded that first time around seven thirty, and he was kind of on a slope, you know, that I I knew he was going to get burnt out by the sun there, you know, after a while. So that first time when he bedded, I just I stayed where I was at and sure enough, he got a, got up about an hour later and, you know, he moved, you know, a little bit surprising to me. They normally don't move, you know, a quarter mile, a half mile, but this buck got up and he moved about a quarter mile, hmm. um, got up into an area, you know, with a little bit kind of a side cut on a, on a little draw where he could get in that shade where he was going to be able to stay, you know, stay on that slope for, for the rest of the day and stay in the shade. and man once he did that you know again he bedded in a spot you know looking downhill i'd been been over there you know during the summer you know just doing some hiking and stuff and so i kind of knew already the way that that wind current was going to be coming up that valley and i mean it was just everything was perfect you know i had a thought i had a good chance of getting that buck killed you know so i packed up all my stuff there and i made a big loop got above that buck and then, you know, got a little bit off to the side. I'd learned, you know, over, over the years. And I mean, this was early on in my career, but I'd already known the wind currents over there, but it's just, to me, I think it's safer when I'm moving in on a bedded buck to come in a little bit more from the side or at a, like a 45 degree angle, as opposed to coming straight down on top of them. And the reason being is, those thermals, you know, even during the afternoon, I've noticed that they shift, shift, you know, they're either going up or they're going down and they might be going up. And then all of a sudden they just swirl down for 30 seconds. Right. So I like to come in a little bit from the side. So if that happens, you know, even if it's just for 15 seconds, it doesn't blow up my, you know, my stocking opportunity. So I prefer to come in a little bit off to the side, but you know, that day it worked, you know, I got in there, um, there was a big rock 
that I had already kind of figured out that if I could get to that rock, it was going to be, you know, maybe a, a 50 yard shot down to where that buck was bedded. Um, he had his back completely to that rock. So I figured if I could get there and get up on that rock and get set up that I was going to be able to have a good, a good shot at him mm -hmm. and everything, you know, it just, I said, nothing could have, could have, couldn't have been any more perfect. Put it that way. I got into position. Um, the thing that, that killed me on this, this was a little bit before the days or, or maybe they had already come out and I just didn't have one, but <laughs> I didn't have a range finder, you know, that adjusted for those, for those angles. For the angles. Yeah. Yep. And I got to the, got to that rock, ranged that deer and kept ranging you know i could hit him on the back of the head and it kept saying you know 53 yards 53 yards and you know there was a bush that was next to him and hit that bush and 53 yards 53 yards and you know so i was i was pretty set and i figured i was gonna figured i was gonna shoot him for 45 yards you know i was gonna have kind of bracketed him you know at that point between my my 50 and my 40 yard pin mm -hmm. Um, and I felt like I, you know, I had the, had good wins, so I didn't, didn't make a move. I mean, I didn't make any noise or anything to try to stand them up on purpose. Uh, once in a while I'll do that, especially if I think I'm in, in a position where that wind's going to swirl at any moment and might give me away. You know, I prefer to just, you know, right. Take I'll a use, chance. Use a mouth. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a chance that the wind's going to give me away once I get in position, you know, I just like to. You know, get full drawn and you know mew on a on an elk diaphragm, a mouth call or something, and try to get him to stand up. But you know, this time I didn't think that I needed to do that, so I just made the decision I was going to wait him out. He stood up finally. I was there probably I don't know about an hour and a half. You know, with the arrow knocked and had a, had taken off my I had a hoodie on. I'd taken it off and put it underneath my knees because those rocks were starting to starting to grind into my knees a little bit, but, you know, I had plenty of time to calm down, you know, relax. And that deer stood up and I came to full draw. And I just remember, I think my, I think my 50 yard pin was, you know, right on, right on the top of his back, right on his spine. And sure enough, when I, when I shot, I mean, that's, that's where my arrow went. I mean, it literally shaved hair off the top of his top of his back and, that buck was gone <laughs> I, mean, I, he didn't, I mean he didn't go 30 yards and stop and look back he didn't go 200 yards and stop and look back i mean that buck literally covered a half mile left that basin never stopped one time jesus and yeah no it was crazy and you know and that that was the last time i ever saw that deer you know, a lot of times, you know, when I'm bow hunting these deer, I'll get, you know, I can usually get, you know, maybe two chances at a, at a big buck mm -hmm. you know, the first time, you know, they might let me get away with it and they might leave a basin and come back overnight. But nope, I never saw, never saw that deer again. Jeez. That's a heartbreaker. <laughs> oh man. So you, while you were sitting there telling this story. It made me think that when you're spending all this time watching watching a deer in the early season, what are some of the things that you are notating 
And, and if, it, if it seems obvious, even if it seems obvious, let us know. Because what's obvious for, for you or me might not be obvious for somebody else. But Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing is, you, you, I don't know the best way to explain it, but by all means, do not put any pressure on that deer. Mm-hmm. You know, in the me- and what I mean by that is they don't need to know you're there. Um, you don't have to watch that deer from 200 yards away, 300 yards away. If I can watch that deer from a mile away, right. that's even better. Yep. You know, you know, a lot of people, you know, and I understand some people want to get get pictures and, you know, do the whole videoing and digiscoping. And, you know, it's much better now, you know, that with these, you know, systems that we have for putting on our spotting scopes and stuff like that where – we can still get good pictures and videos from much farther away, but yeah, um, I still think that you know people are a little bit, a little bit careless sometimes when they're scouting, and you know you tip these big bucks off, you know that they're being watched. You know they they change their habits. But the other thing I'm really trying to figure out, and I mentioned it, is I want to know what those wind currents are doing, you know, in different places, you know, in that valley. So how are so, how are you doing something like that without letting the guy you know letting him know that you're in there? Yeah. So a lot of times, um, you know, if you use your spotting scope, you know, to where I can study, you know, I'm I'm looking at the way you know grass is pointed, you know, going uphill and and watching, you know, things. You know, there's lots of stuff that's floating around in the air, um, you know, different little blooms and seed pods and stuff. So. I just try to make a note and watch, you know, in different draws and stuff and see at different times of the day. Okay. You know, from 11 to one, this wind seems to be blowing up this way. Um, on this other hillside over there, that's out in the sun, you know, it's pretty much blowing, blowing uphill all day. But on the other side of that draw in the shade, man, it seems to be dropping, you know, throughout most of the day because the sun's never, never getting in there so mm-hmm. just you know trying to trying to figure out as much of that there's also times where you know the buck i'm looking for is just not in the basin mm-hmm. you know they, they, they don't have to stay in one spot <laughs> you know they can they can move and you know sometimes they'll leave and be gone for you know a day or two or sometimes they'll be gone for a week and if i can you know glass in there and and feel very confident that he's not in there somewhere, you know, sometimes during the day or the afternoon, I'll just go hiking over there and, and kind of take notes, you know, pretend like, okay, this is where that buck has been bedding. So if I want to stalk him, how would I come in here? And then what are the wind currents doing when I, when I do that? Mm-hmm. That seems like a, like a smart move. You know, if you can verify that he's not around. Yeah. You know, it's just, one of those things let's say above all is man just there's no need to get close to him during the summertime at all Mm -hmm. just 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 kind of be as low impact as possible yeah i think so do you find that these big bucks are pretty habitual in where and how they bed um yeah no i i think that uh they definitely I mean, first off, I mean, they didn't get big um, by accident. You know, they figured out some kind of system um, that works for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they and they stick to that. 
And the more knowledge you have about about their system and their habits, you know, the, the better off you're going to be. I mentioned that, you know, sometimes, you know, the bucks just won't be in a basin. That's the time, you know, during the summer. Okay, well, if they're not here, where are they going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, so you can go find him again and say, okay, so he's traveling back and forth. He spends three or four days over here, and then he comes over here, you know, for for three or four days. Uh-huh. Right. I've actually I found that to be quite a unique habit, you know, of the bigger, more mature deer. I think that they know if they spend every day in a certain basin on a certain hillside. You know, it puts them in danger. The predators right. figure it out. Predator so. figure, yeah, I was going to say that. I was also going to ask you, do you think that that move or that shift has something to do with something changing, you know, in the situation or whatever weather condition or, you know, just conditions in general are not exactly the same in that basin? And then it's like, okay, now I know I need to, this is not ideal for me anymore. I need to move to another basin and yeah, hang out absolutely. here. Okay. I think a lot of it has to do with that. You know, simple things, you know, like in Colorado, you know, you get later into the summer, we start having a lot of big afternoon thunderstorms uh, that build up. And I've, I've noticed that the deer will change, you know, which basins they bed in, you know, sometimes from, you know, just from July to August, they'll, they'll move over. And that's really what I think it is, is because the way that the storms roll in, it changes up the wind currents and, you know, they just don't feel as, as safe in an area maybe that they spent the month of June in as, you know, it's just not, you know, conducive to them being able to, to smell and keep track of, you know, all that's going on. So I, I do think that plays a part in where they're deciding to bed and live. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, uh, noticed that myself here in Arizona with the monsoons that earlier in the season they might be occupying a certain area and then the monsoons start coming in and it's not that they go far they just use the habitat differently like doesn't seem like they're using the same bed or the same you know uh, travel corridor as often as they did previously and uh, yeah no i i agree with that um you know yeah 100 percent. well cool um so if you got another another story that you would like to share with us i'd love to hear it um yeah i don't i don't know if you want what do you want to hear you want to hear an eastern colorado story or how about a Shoot, I've got mountain lion stories, eastern Colorado stories, or you want to hear about another one of the the big high country bucks? You know, let's do let's do an eastern Colorado. Let's change it up a little plains. That's good, something different. Yeah, so I think uh, I know probably one of my more memorable stories um, came from a buck out there that uh, you know he ended up having you know split split G threes and. Um, it was another deer that I had watched. I actually had history of this deer, kind of watched him grow up from the time he was about a three-year-old deer. Um, and then he finally, I think he was six. So I'd known about him for about three years and 
man, he just lived in, there was about one section of a big, you know, that had big, tall CRP grass in it. Mm-hmm. And everything around there was, you know, maybe two inch high, you know, kind of antelope country, you know, just prairie grass. But, mm-hmm. you know, this little, this little patch of, of CRP, you know, that was, that was his home. And man, I didn't, I don't think, know that I ever saw him outside of that over the three year period that kind of, I kind of kept tabs on him. And I finally had a, you know, I had a hunter come in. Um, he had never, never bow hunted mule deer before. And I, I told him about this buck and that, you know, this is what we were going to try to try to do was kill this deer. And, um, sure enough, you know, the first day that we went out, you know, we picked up, picked up that buck and found him. And the problem was that there, you know, there just was no wind. I mean, dead calm, dead silent. And even though this buck, you know, bedded down a few times throughout the day, I just didn't feel confident at all about being able to get, you know, within 40 yards of him without him hearing me. Mm. You know, that that CRP is, you know, sometimes it can be really crackly and, you know, pop and make different noise. And so we literally, um, make a long story short, we literally sat in the truck with my spotting scope on my window mount. Um, and watched that buck for three days <laughs> from morning till dark for three days. Really? And, uh, Daniel, my hunter after the, after the second day, he was pretty well over it. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as, as you can imagine, that was not his idea of what he was getting into to come out, you know, on a spot and stock hunt out in Eastern Colorado. But, you know, I'd, I'd also had enough experience at that time that I knew, you know, that that's just what we needed to do. You know, we had to wait for the right timing, the right opportunity, and then make sure that we that we capitalize it, on it. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of these bow hunters that, that where I think, you know, more opportunities, you know, trying to stalk every deer, you know, it's not a numbers game for me. You know, I, I'm kind of a, you know, one and done type of guy and if it takes me three or four days of watching a deer till till it beds in the right spot um then then, then that's what it takes and, and most you're of the time, a better I'm, man than me <laughs> yeah you know, i can't do that <laughs> yeah no it's just different strokes for different folks you know and right my way works for me and other people being more aggressive all the time you know works for them so by no means am i trying to knock no, other no, people no. that that Not take the numbers approach but um, on this particular deer, we literally, we, um, we waited for, for three days, didn't leave the truck, didn't stalk that deer. And by the third day, that afternoon of the third day, yeah, my, my hunter Daniel, he was not happy really at all. Um, but I looked at the, looked at the weather report and they said we were supposed to get some wind coming in. And sure enough, I could, it was about how we were staying in hotels at the time, motels out there in Eastern Colorado. And I heard the wind picked up and that morning when we got up, that wind was blowing, you know, 15, 20 miles an hour. And, uh, Daniel, you know, we met at the truck and on the way out there, he said, well, you think we're going to be able to stalk that deer today? 
I said, no, we're going to, we're going to kill that deer today. Nice. And he kind of laughed and chuckled. Oh, you think so? We're just going to go in there and kill him. And I said, yeah, that's, you know, that's the plan. And sure enough, again, you know, sometimes things just work out the way that, that they should. And we picked that deer up from the truck. Um, the wind was blowing so hard. He was already bedded at first light, mm. but he made a big mistake. There was one little berm, um, you know, kind of a road berm that went through that CRP. I think they had it kind of terraced at one point in time for, for the water to be able to flow through it gotcha. the way that they want, they wanted it to. Um, and he bedded with his back, you know, right up against that berm. Um, and the wind was blowing by that time it started blowing about 25 miles an hour. So it was really whipping, but we were able to, you know, leave the truck and basically walk standing up behind that berm down to within 20 yards of that deer. And I told Daniel, I said, knock an arrow. And I said, we're just going to peek over this berm and he's probably going to see you out of the corner of the eye. So I want you to, you know, draw your bow before we can see the deer and then just kind of stand up, you know, walk over that berm with that, with that bow already at full draw. And, you know, that's what he did. And that buck, you know, saw him, you know, luckily stood up and turned sideways broadside at 20 yards. And, you know, Daniel was able to put a, put a good shot on him and run an arrow through him, which was good. If we had to be at 20 yards, I don't think we could have made a shot at, at even 35, you know, his wind, the wind was blowing his bow and everything, but he made it count. And that deer, you know, we ended up getting him, and that deer ended up scoring. Um, I think he was 203. Wow. Nice. So sometimes, sometimes patience pays off. I think patience pays off more times than it doesn't, but um, you got to have it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the thing, you know, that's the, that's the caveat right there. You need to have patience. Uh, and, and I agree, you do have to have it. Um, and for me, you know, I didn't have it, you know, it took me a while. I had to learn. Um, and that's the, that's the advantage of being able to guide. And I was guiding, you know, 15, 16 hunts a year at that mm -hmm. time. Um, you, you learn that patience, you know, when you right. do it a couple times and you screw it up and you never see the deer again, well, then you learn, okay, well next week, let's try it a different way. Right. Right. And when you, when, when you try it the different way and it works out, you know, it's positive reinforcement, you know, you're like, okay, well maybe this way works more often than not, at least in these situations. And so that's what I'm going to do. It's funny. I actually have more patience when I'm guiding than I do when I'm hunting for myself, though. Mm -hmm. When I'm hunting for myself, I, I zero. It's <laughs> fucking pedal to the metal all the time. Go, go, yeah. go. Yeah. It's so crazy because I, I noticed, especially in South Dakota, you actually, that story you just told is almost the exact, my exact hunt this year and from the buck that I killed in, in South Dakota. And I'll share that story with you here in a minute. Yeah. But, um, but this year in South Dakota, I, I've realized many, many times when I was hunting with my clients, see, I got, I always go there, hunt for myself first. And then I, then I guide people. But, um, man, I was like really impressed with how patient I was. I was like, wow, I'm making this guy sit here and wait and we're waiting things out instead of trying to force it, which is crazy. Like, you know, it's not me, but, um. I, I have noticed over the years I've become more and more patient with clients, still not myself, but with clients mm -hmm. than, than I had been 
for sure the best. So now let me let me ask you something real quick, John. Do you think that your lack of patience as a hunter compared to when you're guiding, mm-hmm. do you think that comes from maybe you feel like you've got a very limited amount of time and, and you've just got to get it done, got to get it done now before you got clients coming in or where do you think, what I mean, do you think the difference I'm al- is? I'm, always, I'm definitely always on the gun. I, I live all my seasons are like, you know, I live my seasons five to seven days at a time. You know, I travel a lot to go hunting and it's always in my best interest to hurry up and get it done. You know, I get home to my wife and family and get home to my other businesses and so on and so forth. And in South Dakota, the last two years, because I've had clients coming, I only had five days to hunt for myself. I had had clients coming that I knew, you know, I got to try to, I got to try to make something happen, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the last two years in a row, I've taken lesser bucks than I probably would have wanted to. I mean, I was still happy with them. I made the decision to go after them, to shoot them, whatever. But I sure. know that if I had more time, I probably would have been more picky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And the buck that I shot this year, he was a buck that got wounded from another hunter on a neighboring property. And okay. my hunting partner, Charles, had stalked him. I think we found him the first day. Yeah, he'd stalked him, got it like really close, under 20 yards, and just couldn't get a shot at him. And he busted us. And then I had take a swing at him and I missed. And then Charles, we swung at him again and missed. Not necessarily missed. We didn't shoot and miss, but we didn't didn't end up closing the deal, you know? So it just didn't happen, yeah. It was starting to get to this point where like, hey, this buck. You know, he's kind of got our number and he's wounded, you know, he, um, when I end up, after I end up killing him, um, yeah, his leg was all festered and it was, it was pretty bad. He had some, he had some scars and whatnot that, uh, yeah, they're tough like, suckers. yeah, they are, they really are. And it was funny cause I had, I had inadvertently, I had, I had like stalked into him when I was stalking another buck and i i let him go because i really wanted to shoot this other buck and i should have just shot him then i had him at like 45 yards and i let him go and then i didn't get the buck that i was after and then i ended up uh shooting him the very next day it was a similar situation though he was it was super super windy i mean it's always super windy in freaking south dakota always mm-hmm. but it was extremely windy it was probably 30 30 mile an hour plus you know and um he had bet up against this little berm on this wide open bench and um it was just grassy bench so he was sitting above this like wash thing in this little cut with his with his bed, you know, his back to it. And man, I got stupid close, probably twelve yards or something like that. <laughs> but I couldn't see him. I couldn't see him. I like it was that much of an like in you know, embankment that I couldn't even see him. And I was like just and I knew if I got any closer, my the sun was gonna mess me up and I was gonna cast my shadow. And I was like, well, you know, I started thinking about what you told your client to do. I'm like, maybe I should just 
get step back a little bit here, draw back, stand up, and just start edging my way over there. And about the same time that I was thinking this in my head, um, I already had knocked an arrow, and uh, I was talking via text message to one of my guys up top, and he texted me, and he's like, he's getting antsy. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe he thinks, maybe he knows I'm here. I don't know. And just kind of like in my head, I was kind of thinking about this. I felt a Mm -hmm. puff of the wind hit me in the back of the head. And I'm like, Mm. dude, he jumps up and he runs out across this little deal. And I just like, I don't even even know what the hell went through my head because it wasn't, and I'm not, I mean, I'm proud of it because I made the shot, but I'm not proud of it because I shouldn't have done it. I had ranged across, mind you, I did range across the this wash that this this embankment was over. I had ranged it up a couple times, so I, I knew the kind of knew the distance. But he bolts out and he runs across, and I just drew back and like Legolas on the run, I freaking smacked him. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, uh, so you know, he he runs a quartering shot, quartering through, um, through and through, and he runs up and he. I could see him stop at the top where these cedars are. And um, I end up having to go shoot him again, which really freaking sucked. This poor freaking deer, you know, um, was already hurt. And then I shot him again. I mean, it was a fatal shot. He would have died, but I didn't, I didn't want him to have to wait even longer to die. Sure. But you know, um, once they, once they get that will to, will to survive instinct going in them, you know, wounded deer, I've, I've noticed that, man, they can really take some punishment after that. You know, it's pretty yep. amazing what they can, what yeah, they can endure. It, it was pretty nuts. Well, I got up on top of that ridge and I stalked within six yards of him broadside. And I shit you not, I missed my first shot at him at six mm-hmm. yards. Oh yeah. The wind was blowing that hard that I went to go shoot and my bow wasn't even on the freaking deer anymore when I when I went to pull the trigger. <laughs> yeah. Nope, that reminds me I missed a, a giant deer one time at, at eight yards. Yeah. <laughs> Unreal. Unreal. Yeah. I was like, I can't I can't believe I just I mean I kinda threw my bow at the damn thing. And um and so I quickly loaded another one and then I really like wrangled it in and like just just trying to hold my pin and you know, there and I and I made a, you know, perfect shot at that point, and he he just collapsed. Mm-hmm. But you know? I was like, I cannot believe this happened. It was, it was pretty freaking nuts. Yeah, pretty freaking yeah. nuts. Yeah, things things happen the way that we least expect them sometimes. Yeah, yeah. you know, going back to you know, I'm just sitting here thinking. You know, you asked if I had any other advice. You know, when it comes to you know, hunting above timberline, you know, scouting deer during the summertime. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, investing so much time into one particular deer and, you know, the amount of pressure, you know, that we put on ourselves because of that. And that might be one bit of advice, you know, that maybe I might give people is, you know, sometimes it's best not to spend every weekend you know every waking hour you know going to check on a buck and and watching him or um, because we do we begin to build up up all this all this pressure and load it up and you got so much invested in this one deer 
that when you do finally, you know, it's finally the hunting season and you're finally in position to make your shot, it becomes overwhelming. Yep. And, you know, the, the results of me missing that 200 inch deer, man, it was a downward spiral for me that really messed with my head. And over the next three years of bow hunting that high country, man, I missed another four or five bucks that were all over 190 inches. Jeez. You know, simply for the fact that I, I really developed a case of target panic. Mm. Getting, you know, I'd watch the deer. There was so much pressure, you know, especially after I'd missed that big one. I wanted to redeem myself. You know, if I finally wanted to kill one of these big deer so bad, that, you know, once I got in position, I'd get ready for a shot, I'd be at full draw. And as soon as these deer stood up, you know, whether I stood them up or they got up on their own, I was just, I was a mess. I mean, my, I wouldn't even, I, I can't even remember what would happen. Mm-hmm. You know, my pins would, you know, the deer would stand up and I'd be so scared that they were going to, going to bound away. I wasn't going to get a shot that. I just all of us all I would know is oh there went my I just I just shot my bow just went off and I wasn't even anywhere close you know to being ready and it took me you know it took me a while I finally talked to a good friend you know a well-known bow hunter and and asked him you know his advice on on overcoming that that target panic and uh you know he he advised me say well you really need to shoot, you know, get into shooting 3Ds and going and shooting 3D, you know, tournaments, you know, with other people. Right. He yeah, said it's a pressure one, it's, on it. Yeah. Yeah. He said it's one thing to shoot 3D targets, you know, by yourself, um, which is good. It's good help, especially, you know, taking them up into the mountains and, you know, setting them up at steep angles downhill. You know, all that stuff helped, but the added pressure of shooting those targets with, you know, people around and people watching, you know, was a very realistic simulation of the type of pressure, you know, in the hunting field. And absolutely. So um, I, I did that. And then his other advice was, man, the next time you see a deer bed down, you know, regardless of how big it is, just stock it and kill it. <laughs> you know, you've got this built up in your head, so much that you think that you know these deer are like kryptonite you know that it's impossible for you to kill one so you know just take off all the pressure relax just go kill a deer to have fun bow hunting again and and it it worked you know once i did that and you know understood you know what the pressure yeah yeah once i stood what the pressure was doing to me um, you know, it was a turning point for me. You know, I started hunting after that and, you know, not too many deer get away anymore. Yep. It, it, it's crazy how in our heads you can, you know, in your own head you can get. I, I am freaking notorious. I am notorious for that. Luckily, as notorious I am for doing that, I'm also extremely good about getting myself out of it. Because yeah. I've, I've been there so many times. But it, it doesn't take a whole lot for me to slip down that hole. It really does. Yeah. yeah. And you, you nailed it on the head. There also is being able to recognize it, you know, immediately and remove yourself from that frame of mind is, you know, is very important. Yeah. Um, and I'm the same way I can do it. I'm, 
you know, I can just feel it in my body, my head. Man, dude, you're way, you're, you're taking this way too serious. Way man. too wound up for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the no. end of the day, it's just, it's just bow hunting, brother. It's, it'll be okay. <laughs> yep, exactly. It's not, we're not, we're not deciding the faith of the, uh, you know, of the planet. <laughs> but, yeah, that's right. But yeah, no. Um, yeah, I'm, like I said, I've been, I'm, I'm notorious for the, of, the guy that gets in his own head. Um, and a lot of times I'm able to tinker it out or practice it out like you did, you know, some way or shape or form. Um, but then every once in a while, it's just, um, you know, you just got to do what you said and just kind of go, just go be a guy and have a good time and, and yeah. just take whatever, you know, Brown is down does a lot. <laughs> Yeah, and that's where I've come to what I've come to figure out. You know, I, I obviously love hunting big deer. You know, that's that's what I like to do. But I try to, you know, I might have, you know, two or three, you know, big deer hunts a year. But I also try to plan a hunt where it's just me and my buddies, you know, going hunting and that's exactly right. We're just here to hunt deer, legal bucks are, you know, gonna get stalked and if we kill them, great. If not, who cares? You know? Right. We're out we're out together, we're enjoying the outdoors and that, you know, I try to do at least one of those, you know, a year as well. That's good. It's healthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, man, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing the stories with us and sharing the insight. I think there's a lot people could take home from that and, and apply to their, uh, their own hunting. Yeah, no, it's always always good to be on and, and talk a little bit of bow hunting with you for sure. Awesome. Uh, where can our listeners find out about you? Um, well, you know, they can come and check out. I've got a website. You know, my company is Pimani Outdoors. Not only do I, have I done a lot of guiding, but that's allowed me to get to know a lot of good outfitters throughout the country. So I've got a, I've got a website. It's PimontiOutdoors.com. Um, they can also follow me on Instagram um, at pmonty 6 So that's pmonty 3006 um, And I'm also on LinkedIn, but I don't do the Facebook anymore. Yeah. Facebook's getting too old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Manny. I, I, I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely talk to you soon. All right, John, you have a good one. Thanks. Hey, guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor. Go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.